she's living in, in a society in which you could basically reinvent yourself from scratch by walking five miles down a road because nobody knew. Yeah, there wasn't Intellius, Spokio, or Facebook for them to check up on uh, Look, there wasn't telephones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, this is the first episode of Yiddish Book Club, in which three Yiddish translators and myself read Yiddish literature and the English translations, and then make podcasts. My name is Eric Klein, and I hardly know any Yiddish. Pretty much zero, though it was spoken by some of my grandparents and most of my great-grandparents, so some of that uh, trickled-down trickle down Yiddish uh, is how I speak it. So uh, I don't know it. I don't know the language, but I have a strong desire to know more about the great works of Yiddish literature. I want to read these books, especially the old good stuff, um, that hasn't uh, been sufficiently translated into English yet, or uh, is just stuff that I haven't learned about because uh, I'm new to this whole thing. I'm joined on this project by people who aren't new to this whole thing. Michael Wex, Shane Baker, and Faith Jones, um, who are experts in Yiddish. They know their Yiddish very well, and they're here to help the rest of us, including me, understand what's being glossed in translation. So a little bit about those Yiddish experts. Michael Wex, who is probably best known uh, for his uh, New York Times best-selling book, uh, Born to Gavetch, about the Yiddish language. Uh, Michael grew up speaking Yiddish at home with his parents and uh, his neighbors. And, of course, that used to be a lot more common in the first half of the 20th century, but for people in Michael's generation... Uh, who grew up in the latter half of the 20th century, of course, not so much. Uh, so that makes uh, Michael's uh, knowledge of the language very special, and I'm so excited about the work that we're doing here with him. Uh, you can find out more, of course, uh, bios about all the people, more details at YiddishBookClub.com, which is our website right now. Uh, Michael, who lives in Toronto, invited two of his Yiddish translator friends to join us on this podcast project. Faith Jones is a librarian from Vancouver, British Columbia, and Shane Baker is an actor in New York City. And myself, I'm podcasting from my home in Portland, Oregon. So we're beginning this project by talking about the Isaac Bashevis Singer short story, Yentl the Yeshiva Boy, which was infamously adapted uh, three decades, about, about three decades after it was written, uh, into a movie musical by Barbara Streisand. On this podcast, we're discussing the plot of the story Yentl the Yeshiva Boy in detail. Uh, should you read this story before you listen to the podcast? Of course, that's up to you. Uh, the English translation is easy to find online and in print. Uh, I begin by asking my Yiddish-speaking friends a question. So, Michael, when was the last time you uh, spoke Yiddish with a stranger? I don't Not very long ago. Uh... I get strangers trying to talk to me in Yiddish all the time. I, <laughs> why I've unlisted my number, but uh, <laughs> people just call you on the phone and 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 launch launch into. Basically, yes. Uh, you know, usually they want something. They want some kind of information, uh, and occasionally they do track me down by telephone. But otherwise, I mean, I still. Although I'm not very religious, I do go to shul relatively regularly. Uh, and I go to the kinds of shuls where people speak Yiddish. So it uh, it doesn't happen all, you know, it's not that rare that it happens. Uh, so I'd, I'd say probably, you know, within the past couple of weeks. Good. All right. Hey, Shane, how about you? 
Um, it happens, you know, it's just like uh, uh, Wex, you know, with his speaking engagements. I'm sure people come up to him afterwards and, and speak to him in Yiddish. And you play Yiddish theater and people come up and yeah. try to try to talk Jewish to you uh, uh, afterwards as well. Something, something tells me, and this is really mean of me, but I would imagine that they come up to you, Shane, and they try to, like, stump, stump you. Like, try to, try to talk, talk Yiddish in a way in which uh, um, the joke's on you. Halavai, they knew that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, that, that almost never happens. Okay, good. I, That's just in my head then. No, usually they have a question. Yeah. Uh, at least with me, it's, do you know this word? Do you know this expression? Because uh, even they don't know what it means. It's a very simple one. Yeah, it's generally something totally obvious. Uh, and it's it's usually, you know, something that they've, they've never heard from anyone else and are trying to figure out if their parents made it up, uh-huh. uh, which is almost inevitably the story. Uh Fogmiragang, Deribagayan Kotchkis Borvis. Yeah, and it's there's like uh, the the two that Shane just came out with are these are well known Yiddish idioms, but it's always something like that. And then it's kind of like I, I don't understand this thing. Maybe you've heard it a, a pot calling a kettle black, or somebody <laughs> that lives in a stone house throwing glass. Uh, have you ever heard anything like that? So, of course, you respond instantly. And they look at you like you've just come up with, you know, the idea of the circulation of the blood or something. You're a uh, genius. A genius. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Just exactly. like that, he knows these things. He knows that he didn't even have to look it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's almost always either something like that or something so garbled that you actually cannot figure out what it is. Uh, you know, it's definitely not Yiddish, at least in the form <laughs> that you're getting it. And you can't figure out based on the sounds, on the phonemes, what it might have been at one time. And then you get, uh, then they think you're an idiot. Then it's like, I thought you were an expert. <laughs> it's and like they're quoting Robert Klein. I'm an expert in Yiddish, not an idiot. Uh, but... It's like uh, so, it's like what quote Shane? It's like they're quoting Robert Klein with his nonsense Yiddish, mm. with uh, the, all that uh, all that did for Yiddish, you know, the the the, the <laughs> make make things up, <laughs> whatever it is he does. Yeah. He wants to be a member of the Klausner Conservatory Band, apparently. <laughs> Seriously? I don't, oh, I don't know if we can leave that in, given our given our. Uh, very careful, non non slander policy. You've done it again, but he's a public figure, and so you were, I was told. And you by, were just kidding. So I was told by the alleged bite e. Uh, I'm sure it was all in fun. Uh, well, he seemed to think it was. <laughs> Moving on, Faith. Uh, when was the last time you spoke to a stranger in Yiddish? You'll be shocked to hear this doesn't come up all that often in Vancouver, British Columbia. But last year, about a year ago this time, I was in Hawaii and um, we, oh. had, we, we were driving across the big island and we, um, we stopped at a, a rest point and there was a very confused man who was going from car to car pointing 
you know, talking, pointing, and then he would just get passed on to the next car. And when he finally came to our car, it turned out he was speaking German. Uh. And with my Yiddish and his German, I was able to tell him how to get to the top of the volcano. He thought when he had turned into the rest stop that that was the road up to the volcano, but it was not. So uh. using my, you know, uh, extraordinary uh, map reading skills and Yiddish, I was I was able to get him there. So... That is the last time, probably, that I spoke Yiddish with a stranger. And it was only Yiddish on my side. Right. And he, he asked me where I learned German, and I said, oh, I don't speak German. <laughs> he was quite confused. But you know, that's, That happens sometimes with Germans. They figure you have parents who were like peasants or something from some real backwoods place. And he just picked up the local dialect and don't speak the standard language. That must have been what he thought. I'm sure it was. Yeah, oh, I got by that way for years in Germany, pretending to be a farm boy. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, the joke, Jüdisch sprichst du Deutsch, a Scheile. Wonderful. Well, guys, um, let's talk about the story. Let's talk about IB Singer's uh, Yentl the Yeshiva Boy. Okay, I have to start with a confession. Okay. So, you know, I'm like this big, you know, Yiddish maven somehow. Like, I, I speak Yiddish, and I'm a librarian, and I know all these things about books and Yiddish, so obviously I know a lot about Yiddish books. So, until two weeks ago, I had not read Yentl in any language. I had not seen the movie. I knew nothing. I was a Yentl virgin. <laughs> like Yentl. Much yeah. like Yentl. So, uh, so I just wanted, I just wanted to start with that all, all my everything. And I had read much about Yentl, but I had never actually been moved to read Yentl. So mm. I have corrected that. I have read it in English. I have read it in Yiddish and God help me. I watched the movie. You watched oh, wow. the movie? Whoa, that, that is. Oh, you did it. Call of duty. Uh, yeah. About 10 minutes in when the first song starts oh. up, I had to send Winifred for the whiskey. Uh, I just didn't see any other way I was going to get through it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Well, let's leave the movie aside because that's <laughs> a wonderful discussion, probably a more popular podcast. But we want to start probably. with the, the original. The one that we're not on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not a bad idea, though, for a crossover. Yeah, the one where the cool podcasters are. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about the work of literature. So the, the, you know, the story was written uh, sometime in the 1950s, right? I think it was 62. Well, it came out in English in 62. I don't okay. know when it was first published in the, Yiddish. The, okay, I, I know the answer to that. I'll tell you the answer because I'm like this big Yiddish maven person. That's so, right. Yeah. So it was actually published in English first. Oh. It was translated and published in English in 1962 and didn't come out in Yiddish until 1963 oh. in a journal. I don't remember which one. Because this explains some of the discrepancies between the two texts. Because the, um, the article that I.B. Singer wrote about the movie in the New York Times in the 80s said that he wrote the story sometime in the 50s. Ah, and he, that was, could have been. It was a pretty funny article. Uh, we'll, we'll have a link in the show yeah. notes when such a thing I exists. I mean, well, there can also be a, you know, a gap between when something was written and when it was published. Yeah, That's, right. Neither here nor there, really. But I.B. Singer the hated the movie. I think we can just put that out at the beginning. And then leave the movie aside, even though um, maybe that's one of the reasons we're even talking about the story at all. But let's let's talk about the story itself. Um, 
its merits as a little piece of literature. Should should we be giving a small praise of it? Does someone want to do that for those who have not talked? Why, why don't you? It's an excellent idea. <laughs> I brought it up because I don't want to do it. I thought someone else would. Yeah, well, you've just volunteered yourself, Baker. I can't uh, go out there. They're, they're all wearing singer's face. So. <laughs> uh, so uh, on one foot, it's the story of a uh, young woman whose father raised her uh, uh, studying texts, uh, the, 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 the Torah, which is not really encouraged for women. Uh, she, he dies and uh, she sets out into the world and decides to become a yeshiva bocher, uh, uh, to, to go to yeshiva. And uh, there she develops a very close relationship with a fellow, uh, a, a, a vigdor. She takes the name Anshul. He's known as a Vigdor and uh, uh, known as, that's his name. And uh, uh, Vigdor was turned away by a prospective bride's family uh, because a brother of his had hanged himself. Uh, and Yentl, now Anshul, winds up uh, living with and falling in love with. Uh, well, if she falls in love with, that's a question. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, bride, Hodas. Uh, winds up marrying Poor simple her. Hodas. Yeah. Winds up marrying her and uh, uh, then winds up leaving her so that Anshul, uh, so that uh, Vigdor uh, can marry her in turn. Uh, and and uh, Anshul Yentl just kind of uh, disappears, apparently, to go off and study elsewhere. That's really on one foot. There's a lot left yeah. out. But yeah. And and what's what do we know about the setting? It's it's Poland, right? It's it's Poland. Nineteenth uh, century Poland, I would say. Right. Yeah, and Probably. it's all in based on the names. Like the whole point of naming her Yentl, when it's not a joke. You know that Yentl is the name uh, from which we get the word Yenta. Uh, you know, for like a gossipy, old-fashioned kind of woman. And it got that way because Yentl, which had at one time been quite a popular name, a popular woman's first name, fell out of fashion. So the only people named Yentl, uh, you know, they're going to be like a whole generation of Tiffany's or something. <laughs> so it's like now Sadie is a name for very young girls. When I was a kid, Sadie was a name only for great-grandmothers. Uh, yes. They come in and out of style like that. Yentl had fall, fell out of style and hence became identified with backwoods, backwards people, and people that were old and didn't behave properly. The huh. fact that she has this name as a young, you know, obviously this is the name she's given at birth, suggests that we're dealing that and just the general ambiance of the yeshivas and some of the names that are mentioned suggests, you know, the latter part of the 19th century. Mid to, you know, nobody takes a train, notice. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that region there that, that, that they're describing, none of it is too far from Bashevis's own uh, yeah. uh, area of, of yeah. uh, Bilgorai, uh, Bechev is is not far away. Lublin, uh, uh, 
Lviv is the closest large city that you find listed, but uh, uh, all of these small towns are within a, a couple of hundred kilo uh, kilometers of each yeah, other. And, and Lublin was a considerable Jewish center in, in Poland at the time. Interestingly, they also turn up in a lot of Bashevis's stories, as well as Peretz's stories. Uh, Zamish is where Peretz was from. And, yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's all pretty close together. So Faith, Not, oh, Faith, what did you think of the story? Well, um, I was I was pretty surprised actually by how much I liked it. Um, Bashevis is not one of my favorites, um, and I you know I typically am not really interested in his female characters. Mm. Um, they're usually two dimensional. Um, so this was a very interesting, a very interesting story for me. And one of the questions I have is, given that Bashevis generally can't write a female character to save his soul, like what what are we seeing here? Um, but what is this about? This this very interestingly gendered, not just one person, but a number of people who have sort of interesting. Um, relationships with each other in ways that are a little bit unusual. So I, I don't know. I found it very. I I really I quite enjoyed it. I yeah. was surprised, and that's why I had never read it before because I thought, why do I need? You to were listen worried to that you this? might like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I thought, why do I need to listen to this old misogynist talk about women? Yeah. I, so, I you know. So what did you like about Yentl, the character? Why why did she, why did she seem like a good person to you? Well, I mean, what's what's complex about her and what makes her interesting is that she is able to um, decide to do things that are, you know, completely outside her knowledge. She has no uh, role model for any of the things that she does. And so that's part of what makes her interesting is that she's one of these people who's able to see other ways of doing things, which, uh, you know, quite rare in life um, that people can do that. So that's what's uh, fascinating about her, and she takes it to an extreme. I mean, she goes to the, she goes to the, um, you know, to the lengths of marrying a woman, and in the Yiddish at least, um, deflowering her. I guess that happens in the English as well, yeah, uh -huh. but not in the movie. Um, so she takes it, she takes it to quite an extreme. She's she does something which she had no way of knowing could even could be done. Um, so that's, yeah, there's something about now that I loved that part and I can't believe we're skipping to that. Um, I loved it because I was like, wow, that's in there. Um, because what, what happens in the story is that the, um, the family goes to check the wedding bed and is overjoyed to see the, the blood. Correct. Right. Did I get that right? right. And, yeah. and so we know that Yentl, uh, the woman dressed as a man did her husbandly duties and that's that's as far as the details go, the lurid details of of how it was done. But um, and then it said, but she knew what she was doing yeah. because of she had been hanging out with boys for long enough to hear them talk. But then also from studying the Jamara, from the Gemara, the, the Gemara. From the well, it's not well, this just is that. It. There, there were people who advised them on how you know what's supposed to happen before they're. Uh, sent off. I mean, there's directly that, but uh, sorry, Wex, you were about to... No, I was I was going to say more or less what, pretty much what it seems that you're saying. Uh, it's a little bit ambiguous in the English, though. I think we'll have to explain for Eric. Oh, good. Which is one of the things that gets left out in the English. In the Yiddish, it says very specifically that 
um, the, the older people in the community instruct the young couple how to fulfill the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. It says that in those words. And again, in, the instruction for the women is lie back and think of England, uh, <laughs> basically. Something in, has to go in there. But in the English, all it says is that it, they instructed the couple in proper conduct. Oh, Yes. So I think in English you wouldn't necessarily know that this is the sex talk, but that is what happens this, on the wedding this, night. This scene, by the way, uh, is it comes up at various times. It's also in Yoshi Kalb. It's a big, yeah. big scene. Yes, that's where true. The, yes, where the husband, written by Bashevis's brother. In fact, this story in some ways is like a, a bettering, maybe or. Or his answer to Yoshikal, but I, I don't know, you know, with the disappearance of the groom and all of this. But there's also the tale of a, a, a groom who is unable to fulfill his uh, uh, duties, even though, and it goes into the scene with the instructions and the wife lying back and all of that. It's, it's, it's right there. This is, uh, 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 it would certainly be uh, worthwhile. Shane, that's brilliant. I never made that connection. Uh, and it's odd, though, the description of the bride there in Yashikalb is more like the description of a Vigdor's bride, Pesha, who is described, you know, as attending the wedding. They're already married, and she's there with her shaitl and with her fur robe, and she looks like a lump, and it's horrible. Right. Uh, uh, and uh, th there's uh, a description there in Yashikalb that's very much like that of, of the bride. A Vigdor is the character in Yentl the Yeshiva Boy who is a... Yentl's buddy, Yentl's, Yentl's right. man friend, who um, she's in love with, but she loves she loves studying with him. She's not necessarily uh, burning with a romantic passion. She likes hanging out with him and talking uh, and about that's religion. That's not true. That's not. I don't think that's right. They, they talk at least in the Yiddish, and I recall this being in. I, I read the English as well, mm -hmm. but probably not as as carefully. Uh, they talk about Yentl going. Uh, you know, or Anshul going back to his room at night, getting undressed. And it says specifically, soon as she takes off her clothes, yeah. she becomes, you know, Anshul goes back to being Yentl, a girl in love with a man that she can't have. Ah. That's all, that's what she is when she takes it off. Yeah. And, and that's, well, this is, my confusion sort of speaks to the, to the nice ambiguity of Yentl's, uh, I guess, sexuality. Well, what's, you know, what's odd about that is if you look in the English, and this is a real translation issue, and I assume Singer would have had something to do with it. I'm not sure if she, she was powerful enough at that point to be able to push around Commentary magazine, uh, where magazine one, of the trans right. one of the translators, Marion Magid, was, I think she was managing editor or something. She was a commentary commentary for years, like from its days as a liberal magazine all the way through the Norman Potteritz period, uh, and she was quite legendary. Uh, so I don't know if he would have had that much, as much schlep, but, you know, that that's neither here nor there. The English uses she yeah. as the pronoun for, uh, for Yentl. Whether, whether she, she is, is being Yentl or whether she is being a boy uh, named Anshul. This is a big deal. In the Yiddish. Yeah. In the Yiddish uses he. 
He's at great pains to make onshul. Yeah. Once it's onshul, it's he. He, he. Yeah, as soon as he's onshul, or as soon as she's onshul, rather, uh, after a sentence, you forget that this is actually not a biological man. And that is completely done away with in the English. That's really, that's really important. That's really interesting. Because she goes, she goes from side to side. And this, again, you know, what we're looking at here is, you know, uh, as, as a working writer who rarely works or writes, uh, <laughs> I would like to, you know, what, what are we dealing with here is the basic plot of this story is the basic plot of Twelfth Night. Mm -hmm. Girl washes up somewhere and pretends for reason, well, for varying reasons, to be a guy. And nobody catches on. And what are the consequences of this? And what's going to happen? And I don't, I don't know anything about Singer's working methods. But you can see, like, anybody could come up with this plot. Uh, you know, the reversal of, of gender roles. And stuff, but then the way it's worked out, and the way he gets out of it, because okay, she goes, she pretends to be a man, she's gonna meet, you know, she has to meet a guy or a girl, she has to get involved with somebody, mm -hmm. or there's no story. How do you get out of it? Okay, and Singer actually in the story runs through the various ways of getting out of it when Yentl reveals herself to Anshul. To a Victor. Uh, to a Victor, rather, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first thing, as she starts to undress, you know, she says, I'm a woman. He doesn't believe her. She says, oh, yeah, I'll show you. Starts to take off her clothes. Right, which is so a scene she, in one of the movies from the 80s that I really enjoyed, um, one of the guys. Huh? The, sorry, I'm sorry to do that to oh. you. In the, but there was a movie in the 80s where a girl pretends she's a boy, and it... Uh, that's I watched it when oh. I was a child, and there's like the big moment is when she tells her best friend, you know, I'm I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, and he's like he doesn't believe her, so uh, she opens her shirt and shows him her breasts, in the '80s movie, which is a big deal uh, in the '80s movies, uh -huh. and so it it made it, it amused me that they'd stolen it from Yentl. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where they stole most things yes. are stole from Yiddish yes. literature. Uh, but I, I'm sorry, you were saying including professional wrestling. But uh, <laughs> uh, so you know, when in the big reveal scene there, so the first thing that a Victor thinks is this is a gay proposition that she that uh, that Anshul is proposing a homosexual liaison. Uh, then, once he realizes that that's not the case, that, you know, uh, of big, uh, that Anshul is in fact not Anshul but Yentl, his next thing is, well, why don't we just go off together? Right? Neither of those is satisfactory from a narrative point of view, if you want to write anything decent. Right, well, uh, Yentl responds, well, what am I supposed to do, like become your wife darn, and darn your socks? Says, darn your socks, yeah. Uh, yeah, because she would not be able to, you know, continue this masquerade if they were together. They couldn't go off as two guys together uh, and either have or not have, it wouldn't matter, a sexual relationship. Because two single guys together at that age traveling around, is it wouldn't be accepted in that social world. Mm -hmm. 
So what you get is the, and this is, you know, this for me is the fun part, is how do you get out of this corner that you've painted yourself into, right? Because what he ultimately wants is that a Victor gets the girl that he was supposed to have to start with, uh, and that Yentl is basically a very elaborate plot device, or, you know, femme fatale ex machina, who intervenes to bring this up. And the way you do it is by straining the whole Twelfth Night kind of thing through Jewish law. And the fact that you can divorce a woman, you know, because they, they talk about what am I going to do? How am I going to get rid of her? Yeah. Uh, uh, or how am I going to free her? Whatever. Victor's uh, awful, awful wife, the one that he doesn't no, a Vic, love. No, no, a Victor's awful wife is not a problem. Uh, a Victor can divorce her whenever he feels like it. Oh, so we're talking about uh, Yentl's male personas. Adorable what happens wife. to uh, to Hadas? The names are uh, confusing to me. Yeah, what happens to Hadas? What happens to Hadas there? Uh, that a Victor was supposed to have married, and that Yentl did in fact marry. Yeah, a very sweet girl. Uh, and yes. Hadas is the one who's at greatest danger of being harmed in this whole thing. Right. Yeah, she's she's ultimately the innocent victim. Uh Right. So, you know, they talk about various things that he might do, but she will end up as what's called an aguna, uh, a chained wife, hmm. which means she can never remarry. Uh, if he just vanishes until they can get two credible witnesses to his death, she can't get married again. Fortunately, you know, God shikted a the the remedy was already there, and this all ties in nicely because they come up with the idea based on the fact that they are yeshiva students. Mm -hmm. The mechanism of Jewish divorce is such that a man can divorce, a man who is in a different city or a different place from his wife can divorce her through a messenger. That is, he can get the divorce because you don't need the woman's consent, really, and you certainly don't need the woman's participation in drawing up a divorce. And that's what they do. So the whole thing actually turns on a point of halacha, on a point of Jewish law. So the story as it stands with Avigdor finally marrying Horus at the end, and then, of course, they have a kid named Aranshal. This could only take place, you know, this is the kind of thing people, you know, want, you know, we talked about this, I think, last time, what makes a story Jewish? Well, this is one of the things that makes a story Jewish, because right. this couldn't happen in any other, or it couldn't happen this way, mm. right. put it that way, in any other cultural setting. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff was, was lost on me as a reader, like why, what was, what was at their backs you know, uh, making them... Well, in, in general, if you read just the English, a lot of it comes out very stiff and almost uh, uh, pedantic in a certain yes. way. There, There's there even a fake rabbi that they put in because the trans... This is why I don't think Singer had anything to do with the translation. Whoa, they added a character? No, they misread something. So they talk about somebody named Ibn Ezer. Uh... Yeah. 
but there is no such person. There's no such thing. That's Scrooge. Uh, <laughs> and he's not in this one. What it's supposed, what it says is the Evan Ha'ezer, the Evan Ha'ezer. The Evan Ha'ezer is the section of the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is the sort of basic authoritative code of Jewish law that was compiled in the 16th century. Devin Ha'ezer is the part of the Shulchan Aruch that deals with marriage and divorce. Oh, interesting. You know, this I wrote this down in my notes, and now I'm going to try to see if I can find it in the text. So in the book that I have, the translation that is the same one that you guys were looking at, uh, as far as I know, um, it says, look it up well, in the Ibn Ezer. Yeah, and there's no such thing as an Ibn Ezer. Oh, okay, but that's, that's not a rabbi. That's They made up a book. Well, it's they person- misread. Okay. Eben is generally something. a person's name. Okay. Eben is Eben usually the prefix Sana. for yeah. somebody's name. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. Eben the... is like Ben. It's, it's like funny. Sana. I wrote this down to ask you about it, and now ah. I don't even remember the context. Now there's a couple of things like that. There's a Yiddish. Mis- there's a mistake in the Yiddish that is omitted from the translation that I found interesting. Uh, Do tell. Uh, also in. It's in the Yiddish, they're talking about other learned women. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, Yeah. Um, This is after Anshul, or Yentl, has revealed herself to to a Victor. And he's comparing Anshul, or Yentl, to other learned women in Jewish history. So they meant, uh, you know, it's, it, he mentions Bruria, the wife of Rabbi Meir. This is a woman in the Talmud who was known for her uh, intellectual uh, leanings. There's a whole novel about her called As a Driven Leaf by Milton Steinberg, uh, a book that has study groups devoted to it. They talk about Yalsa, the wife of Rav Nachman. Uh, Rav Nachman was sort of like the uh, Supreme Court justice in Babylonia, and his wife, Yalsa, was also the daughter of, of uh, the Rashkalusa, the, the Exilarch. Uh, and there's a bunch of stories about her in the Talmud, one of which is, you know, some of which have to do with her, again, her intellectual attainments, most of which have to do with her incredible temper tantrums. Uh, she is the leading spoiled brat of the Talmud. Uh, they mention Rashi's daughters. Uh, there's a story, there was in fact a legal decision that up until very recently was thought to have been first issued by one of Rashi's daughters. Uh, turns out this is based on a misreading, but they also all had a reputation for or this, particularly this, the the one with the uh, with the psaac, with the uh, verdict behind her, had reputations of being learned. And then it says, is the abbreviation here. And this is referring to a book called Sefer Miras Enayim, where uh, the, the book of you know, uh, the Enlightener of the Eyes uh, that was written by a guy named Falk. But the story is not that it was his mother who was wise. It's supposed to have been his wife. And I'm wondering, 
if Singer got mixed up it does or whatever. Sound. I mean, it doesn't even appear in, in the English. And I would say the average Yiddish reader would not recognize the, uh, the acronym that's used for the, for, for the book. Uh, so that that's something that definitely there, just, there it's are not there in the English. There are little mistakes that turn up in the Yiddish from time to time. Like you'll, uh, yeah. What did you say, Shane? There are what that turn up? Little there mistakes. are little mistakes oh. that turn up in the Yiddish from time to time. I've seen it in other stories. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, think yeah. These guys all had yeshiva educations when they were young, but I don't think they looked much up when they were writing these stories, they, they were working from memory most of the time. Again, there's a bunch of stuff that's not in the Yiddish, that's in the English. Or a bunch of stuff. There's some stuff. The uh, the stuff about onanism. Uh-huh. When a victor is saying that he, uh, he onans himself rather than uh, sleeping with Pasha. Yeah. His wife that's, that he doesn't like. Yeah, his wife that he doesn't like. That that's not in the Yiddish, or at least oh, not really? in the Yiddish that I've. Well, what I'm wondering is if it's something that was in the manuscript in the Yiddish, and got cut because of the well-known uh, prudery of of Yiddish publishers and many of their readers. Mm-hmm. But it's that that's not there in the in the Yiddish at all. And th- this story. It, 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 it would depend where it was published mm. because he has, you know, references to Misa on an, in uh, various of the uh, in various of the other stories yeah. uh, that 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 were published. So that you know, early it, it'd be on, interesting yeah. to look at the manuscript, but it it certainly does turn up in other stories. Yeah, but they they might have come out later when. Uh, that are published in the fifties. That are published. Oh, before really? Them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's odd. Yeah. Or you know that's. But I mean that that really struck me because when I was reading the English, it was like, why don't I remember this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How funny. Well, there's I, there's a lot about this story that must have um, pushed buttons. You know, I'm mean, even in the eighties. You know, when the movie came out, this was still probably. Um, well, the eighties is not the fifties, but but there there's a lot of. Um, but interestingly, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Faith. Sorry, I, I was just going to say. I mean, having just watched the movie, I felt the movie was significantly more homophobic than the story in either English or Yiddish. How funny! Um, well, yeah, the story. I don't. I didn't think the story was homophobic at all. Not though. at I mean, all. Right. Not at all. And he's he's really. I mean, I don't think he's writing about a transgendered person, but I think he is writing about. He. I mean, that's why he's got the love tri- triangle because yeah. he's got the potential for Yentl slash Anshul to be in both a, uh, to be in all three kinds of relationships. In yeah, a relationship, yeah, yeah. a male-female relationship, in a relationship between two women, and in a relationship between two men, because. Yentl slash Anshul is both. So so Yentl sort of encompasses all kinds of sexual possibility. And I felt feel like all three of those possibilities are kind of given equal sort of emotional right. weight. Well, right. this is, yeah, and, you know, it says towards the end, she says, or one of them says that, you know, she's neither here nor there. Nishtahin and nishtaheyuch. She, I mean, there's no indication in the story that she wants to be a man biologically. Right. 
she wants those things that pertain to a, or one thing that pertains to a man. She wants to be able to study. Yeah, she likes the studying. That's what interests her about being a man. For the rest of it, and I mean, and it's interesting when they talk when the story talks about the the impression that Ancho, you know, the disguised Yentl, made on the girls in Bechev, uh, who were all amazed at how well he dealt with women. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and that he could banter with women in a relaxed, easy way that the guys couldn't, or the other guys didn't. Because, of course, you know, they don't, they don't know why he's able to do that. But that's all... That's all there. You know, you've got, uh, you know, it's, he's talking as much, I think, about gender roles yes. in a larger society as he is talking about actual gender. Uh, and, you know, at the end, again, Yentl has no choice but to continue this masquerade if she wants to keep on learning. But she's getting older. Uh, she's not growing a beard is the problem. One problem. Yeah, and she, she can't a, beget oh, anybody. Well, that's a problem for, for her not having children with uh, uh, Hodas. Right. I think that's why that question comes up, why things aren't happening a certain way with Hodas. Yeah. Well, it's like she said, event, or like the story says, rather, eventually this has all got to come out. How long can you maintain this fiction, it's not, you know, it's not like uh, M. Butterfly or something in the shtetl. Uh, she's, at some point, yeah, they're going to start wondering why this girl's not pregnant. Uh, you know, why Hodas, the wife, is not pregnant. And at some point, somebody is going to ask Hodas very, very specific questions about, you know, does it get hard? Does it go in? What happens? Right. Because, you know, there's a whole folklore of, you know, women who didn't get pregnant because, you know, the guy was putting it in the wrong place, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, joke about that. Yeah, it's the, you know, the hardest thing you've got and the hairiest <laughs> thing she's got. Yeah. <laughs> Spent the night with his nose in her underwear. In her, in I'm her sorry. Under- um, yeah. <laughs> I, because it's a podcast, I'm going to have to ask you to back up and tell that joke more clearly, please. Uh... Do I have to? No, I guess not. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there is, you know, the, the first thing they're going to determine is, does does uh, the husband, Anshul, slash Yentl, does he function biologically the way he's supposed to? Mm-hmm. They're going to do this in two ways. Somebody's going to talk to the wife, and somebody's going to tell him to pull his pants down. Yeah. yeah. Faith, you were, I wanted to take you back. You were talking about how, uh, as you read the story, the um, the three choices for who would be a partner with whom, uh, the 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 three that that all were given equal um, equal weight as opposed to the movie that was just kind of homophobic. Can you tell? Can you talk Super homophobic, that? yeah. Well, I mean, in the movie, um, Anshul never actually has sex with Hodas. Yeah, of course not. Um, uh, he keeps putting her off. Um, so, really? yeah, so the, um, you know, the entire part about how, and one of the things that Bashevis really gets is how, um, 
you know, sexual bonding is part of what creates relationships. Uh, so um, in, the, in the story, Hodas becomes attached to Anshul after they've had sex. Um, that, that, that is part of what creates their relationship as a, as a, as a married couple. Uh, but of course, that never gets a chance to happen in the movie. And so all of a sudden, there's Hodas in love with Anshul, and there's absolutely no reason for it. Um, it's completely bewildering. So, um, so it, yeah, it's, uh, I, I just felt this was Streisand being very uncomfortable with the idea of, um, of you know, her character uh, actually having sex with another woman. And conversely, in the relationship between um, Anshul and Avigdor, uh, there are various scenes where they're, you know, wrestling and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because that's what gay people do, apparently. And, um, and, uh, uh, later on, wrestling yeah, that, yeah, it's quite a theme. Uh, at least it's not toilet paper this time. Uh, anyway, so, uh, we'll get there. yeah, <laughs> sooner or later. Um, so at the end, when, when Yentl reveals herself, um, Avigdor says, oh, I'm, I'm so glad you turn out to be a woman because I was worried because I was attracted to you and I was worried what that said about right. me. This is in the film. So, this saying. is in the film, the yeah. film. Yeah, so I think, I think she just took, and, and Streisand co-wrote that screenplay, so I think it must have really been coming from her deep uncomfortableness with the stuff that is absolutely intrinsic to the story about the malleability of sexuality yeah, and so about the way that sexuality is, you know, a world of possibilities and maybe what really makes the difference is what clothes you're wearing. And yeah, it doesn't really have so much to do with whether you've got the innie or the outie. I like that. There's that quote I pulled out and wrote in my notebook. That was a, what a strange power there is in clothing. Yen yes. thinks to herself somewhere near the end of the story. So wait, Faith, before I, before we move on, I want you to talk more about how you know you read that in Ibi Singer's story. That, that he was uh, much more comfortable with all of these ideas than Barbara Streisand was, or whoever wrote the script for Yentl, the movie. Well, there's, there's no point at which Avigdor expresses any uncomfortableness um, with, with their closeness, with the two male buddies being close in the story. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Avigdor, at the end, after, after Yentl has revealed herself, in Avigdor's mind, Yentl Anshul go back and forth. Like he's very he, when when Anshul is dressed as a boy, um, he he treats him as a boy, um, and it's actually while Anshul is dressed as a boy that Avigdor makes the proposal to him that we should live together, we should get married and live together. So it's like this total confusion: is this a boy? Is this a girl? Um, and and Avigdor does not seem at all uncomfortable with that, and neither does Singer. Um, so and the same thing as I just mentioned with the relationship with Hodas that they are actually able to have a sexual relationship. So I just I felt that in writing this, Bashevis was extremely comfortable with all these possibilities, um, and it was really you know the the frame the social frame that was uncomfortable. Yeah, and and again you know he's pretty explicit, or at least if that singer speaking through through Anshul, pretty explicit, saying, you know, this is why the Torah forbids people from wearing the clothing of the other sex, the sex to which they don't belong. Because once you put it on, you're going to start to get real mixed up 
real fast. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it says, uh, it's as if you're clothing, you're wrapping your soul in somebody else's body. Can, can I just ask, while we're on um, gender, I mean, the whole story is about gender, so we're not really going to get away from it, but um, I had a question about the names, and I'm just wondering if I'm over-reading things here, but Yentl is a diminutive, um, and in Yiddish, often things that end no, with no, an no. L it's, is a diminutive. No? No, it, it, it comes from Gentile. It's one of the oh, remains. so it's not. It's of, not uh, the romance languages. No, what the the one name. So it's not from Yenta. Yenta is from Yenta. Yenta is a back formation. They're related. Oh. Yeah. Uh, right. Like Yentl sounded like it's a diminutive. It's like Brina. Right. Brindle is the original name, but Brindle sounds like a diminutive, so they made a fake positive form. Okay, interesting. Uh, similarly with Yentl, which as okay. Shane said is Okay, so it's not a diminutive, but it sounds like a diminutive. But so my, quest my question could still, be, could still be relevant. I just, it's because both Yentl and Anshul end with an L, which is a diminutive form in Yiddish. Uh, and Anshul, is, Anshul is not taken as a diminutive. I, I know it's not, uh, I know. But I'm just wondering, because they both sort of sound like diminutives with that L sound at the end, if um, he's making a comparison with things that really are diminutive, which are generally neuter. Neuter. Uh, I would say no. Okay. I would say where he does bring that in, it doesn't come out in the English, it's omitted. At the very beginning, uh, when they're talking about before before any of this has actually happened, uh, when he talks about her, you know, learning from her father, studying with her father when he was uh, lying paralyzed in bed, you know, who is her father? In the English, it says Reb Todras, you know, Todras, yeah. Ted. Todras Boyer. But here, Reb Todras Boyer. What is a boirer? A boirer in Yiddish is an arbitrator. He decides for one side as against the other side, right? Once the arbitrator, once the boirer speaks, things go one way or they go the other way. And that, of course, is exactly what this story is about, is She's, you know, uh, Yentl is going both ways. Right. And really the whole thing, you can see it all there. Uh, you know, in retrospect, obviously you have to read the rest of the story to, also, to catch also the significance. In, uh, on that topic, uh, Michael, I was curious, there, there comes up a, a couple of... Uh, 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 things that Anshul and Avigdor are studying together, um, uh, and they're studying Choshen after after the wedding, uh, with the the fourth section of Shulchan Aruch with laws regarding monetary conflicts, witnesses, yeah. etc. But it's also literally the entire costume of resolution, right? The Choshen being the 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 uh, uh, the, the jeweled uh, breastplate, I guess, yeah, of the Kohen. Uh, and then. So, so it's, 
so it's about judgment. And then there's oh. uh, 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 Toimim they're studying, which is a specific section, I guess, of, of Prima Godim, also Geschmack Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, he's a, he's a Polisic. Uh, no, what they're studying is what actually <laughs> they would have been studying. Uh-huh. Uh, because Toimim is Zwilling, right? It's twins. But that's that's the name of the the author. Yes. Uh, yeah. But still, I think there's a, even though they'd be studying it, maybe there's a bit of a pun there, or not. It, this is, I mean, this, uh, you know, I didn't even. This is pretty much what you would be learning. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because the idea is, you've got a couple of years, you get married, and if you're lucky, the girl's family will support you to learn to study for a year or two. After which you got to go into business, mm -hmm. and what are you learning? Is you're learning dinemominus, you're learning uh, financial laws, uh -huh. interest, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, people who didn't learn in yeshivas often, I think, underestimate the amount of time you spend on these things, <laughs> uh, which is a lot. Partly because they don't, they at one time did not expect their graduates or their students at any rate all to become rabbis. And also the great thing, you know, it's practical, it's kind of necessary, and it does not, uh, especially in more general learning situations, it never leads to uncomfortable questions about belief and things like that. So, uh -huh. I mean, you know, you could... Look, you look, Shane. You can, you can definitely make a case for it, uh, and you know, I wouldn't go so far as to deny that there's any intentionality there. But uh, it's you know, it's it'd be a small detail. Uh huh. Put it that way. Uh, you know, I, again, you know, one of the. At some point, you know, the, the big thing is, of course, what Yentl is doing for the sake of the Torah violates God knows how many major Torah commandments. <laughs> right. They, well, they list some of them off towards the end. Uh, right. And, you know, uh, you know, well, the deception, a... cheating, making bruches, making blessings, uh, needless blessings. Uh, misleading people, uh, plus wearing the clothing of the other sex, which is a, you know, it's it's very unambiguous. There's there's um, language in this that comes up in other stories of Bashevis, is the two best known being The Last Demon and The Mirror, that that relate directly to Yentl, you know, looking into the mirror, the, the Spiegel, she talks about falling into a net, into a net in uh, uh, the Yiddish, I forget what it says in the English or not. She compares herself to a lapetut, to, a, to an imp, whatever. But these are terms that show up specifically in uh, singers' monologues by demons yeah. who are seriously attempting to lead people astray. Now, Yentl winds up doing, I guess, the right thing or the best thing that she can do under, under the circumstances. But I, I don't know if, 
I don't know if the feeling is there in the English or not of, of how deep, like, and with our modern understanding of, of things, uh, of, uh, of how deeply astray Yentl Anshul has gone in certain respects. That's really interesting. Yeah, I don't think it comes out that strongly in the English. Whereas in the Yiddish, you know, particularly one of the kind of things that the story turns on, and it's never mentioned explicitly, is that weird moment when uh, Anshul or Yentl realizes that, uh, you know, as Anshul becomes more and more like a man, or as Yentl becomes more and more like a man, you can see his attitude towards Hodas starting to change yes. uh, as he eats there once a week. He comes in, <clears throat> and he's a girl in disguise, although Hodas doesn't know that. But eventually he starts looking her over uh, and, you know, evaluating her physically mm -hmm. right. and so on. Eventually, you know, he's the one that broaches the issue of marrying her. Yeah, actually, right. It's not like somebody comes to him with a shidduch. The father, her father, makes a joke that you know that's not the way we do things here. Uh, neither, neither is there any particular indication that she wants that either. Yeah, until until the issue comes up. Yeah. But somewhere in there, when he's desperately figuring how can he get out of this you know he's painted himself the writer is uh, he is who you're talking about no 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 uh, the, the character sorry okay, uh, that's okay. what can he do to make this right seeing Anshul. how yeah you know he basically at some point adopts what he claims later was his rationale the whole time to give a victor a way out of his marriage with uh, pesha that will allow him to end up with with Horus, you know, the girl that he was supposed to have been with all along. It's funny because that's... And oh. that's already, you know, it's almost as if he mans up. If you're, you're Yentl mans up here and makes herself, as it were, the sacrifice for, uh, you know, for, for her friend's happiness, for her friend's and her wife's happiness. Uh, well, in a way, she has to. She has to be the kapora because how else can it work? No, but yeah. she could just vanish. Yeah, yeah. She could just leave, you know, and that's, you know, that's one of the, one, one of the possibilities that, that comes up. But then, of course... Uh, Ahodas is, is stuck for the rest of her life because, you know, they're never going to find this guy's body because he doesn't actually exist. Right. You can't, you can't have a three-way marriage? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a man and two women if you happen not to be living uh, in, in Europe. If you're a Sephardi, yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's where the, that's, that's the true, that's how they truly could all be happy. Is if the three of them just live together. Yeah, there's no, no polyandry in Judaism. Uh, <laughs> and also... Just, just for a couple minutes in the 70s, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, when Rabbein, well, well, the Karim Rabbeinu Gershom lapsed, the prohibition against uh, um, 
uh, polygamy was only for a thousand years. <laughs> And it lapsed. In, yeah, I went to a party to celebrate this. Uh, <laughs> we figured we had about a five-minute uh, window You're kidding. in which we could, like, marry a bunch of women, open other people's mail, uh, and do all the other things that are forbidden according to this ban. Uh, of course, we didn't do any of it, but... That was a failure of resolution more than it. And, and there were not enough girls there. Uh, <laughs> Faith, you were about to jump in when I made a joke about the three-way marriage. Yeah, I mean, the essential problem for Yentl remains. How does Yentl, I mean, whether she's married or, or not, whether she's married to a man or to a woman, the essential problem for Anshul is how do I continue to study? And that's not going to be fixed yeah. by being in any kind of marriage, happy or not, with either kind of gender. Yeah, and as, as somebody pointed out, eventually as she starts to age, she's not going to be able to pass for a boy. She's yeah. got no beard. She's got uh, no beard. Okay, so that's the conclusion of part one of our conversation uh, about this story. You can listen to part two at your leisure. It's already up online at yiddishbookclub.com or on the podcast feed on iTunes. It would be uh, episode two. Uh, you might have heard Michael Weck's uh, reference uh, a last time uh, on this podcast episode that you just listened to. Last time we talked about what makes a, a story Jewish is what he was referring to. Um, he is talking about some of the conversations that we recorded in preparation for this first opening episode of the podcast. And if you're extra curious about what work went into planning this first episode, you can find those uh, recordings. We've, we've shared them with you online at YiddishBookClub.com if you like. Uh, please send us your thoughts and feedback on the project. Uh, you can email us, YiddishBookClub at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Again, our contact details are on that website, yiddishbookclub.com. Uh, yeah, and go ahead and listen to episode two and let us know what you think. My name is Eric Klein. On behalf of Michael Wex, Faith Jones, and Shane Baker, uh, thank you so much for listening.